Everything we are doing is for you, is for the people affected by crime and violence and trauma. And while statistics are important and numbers are important for building strategies and holding yourselves accountable for approaches, none of that matters when you are the victim of crime, violence, or trauma. And no matter how low our crime gets, and no matter what kind of a trend we're on, if you or your loved one is affected by crime, it's one too many. Uh, we have a saying that we repeat often at the police department, which is a loss to any of us is a loss to all of us. Fred Fletcher is the chief of police for our Chattanooga Police Department. Chief Fletcher was sworn in in June of 2014, and since then he has worked hard not only to reduce crime in Chattanooga and make this a safer community, but to bring a culture change within the Chattanooga Police Department. You know, community policing is a bit of a buzzword in our nation right now, but as you will soon hear in this interview, for Chief Fletcher and our Chattanooga police officers, it is not just hype, but a philosophy that directs their engagement with the community that they have sworn to serve and protect. And so in this episode, we're going to learn more about the programs and the initiatives that Chief Fletcher and our officers have created to better serve our community, as well as talk about some of the biggest challenges we are facing in our city. This is the Camp House Podcast, and I am your host, Matt Busby. Well, Chief Fletcher, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, um, so you've been in Chattanooga for, for three years now, and you're, you are our Chattanooga PD, Chief of Police. And, uh, but before we get into the, the real meat of our interview and, and kind of why you know, I wanted to have you on to have this conversation about community policing, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where, where have you come from? What do you enjoy doing? All that kind of good stuff. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, spent the last 30 or so years in Austin, where I worked as a, an accountant for the world's largest CPA firm. Before I became a police officer, then worked my way up through the ranks to being a commander over one of four regions, uh, commanded about uh, 300 officers responsible for about uh, 175, 180,000 members of our population. Then I was given the opportunity to come here in Chattanooga and lead the fine men and women of the Chattanooga Police Department in service to the best town ever, two times running. <laughs> and that sort of leads into what I like to do. I'm sort of an outdoor enthusiast. I like to uh, run trail run, backpack, cycle. Yeah. Um, in fact, I flipped my bicycle last night while I was out <laughs> no. working out. Yeah, and you're going you're gonna to be heading up the – aren't you taking part in a, in a charity bike ride this next week? I am. I'm the chair of the uh, 2016 Chattanooga Tour de Cure okay. bicycle ride. Well, yeah, before going any further, I don't want to let you off on this. So you started out as an accountant. I did. And moved into the police. Explain that shift because I don't, I don't – that's, that's, that seems pretty unique. It's a long story, but uh, – I always wanted a, a life in public service, and I wanted to be, uh, like many young men, wanted to be a um, very dramatic uh, fighter pilot, and I went to officer candidate school for the Marine Corps, and it turns out you have to have perfect eyes, and so I was looking for another career, and it, uh, accounting as a route into a career with the FBI, and uh, it turns out I did pretty well in accounting, and I had a bunch of jobs thrown at me, and I went into the corporate world for a few years and realized... Well, that was educational and helped me develop a lot of leadership skills and a business mindset. It was not rewarding in the aspect of community service that I felt like I really needed. And I started looking for other ways to fulfill that need to uh, serve the community. Yeah. 
And working in a municipal police department seemed to check most of those boxes. And fast forward three decades, and here I am. Nice. Well, you know, so you were brought in three years ago, and um, you know, from what I've heard, um, both from you telling the story and actually from people within the police force, you know, pretty much the very first thing you did when you got here, one of your first objectives, was to change the, the mission, vision, and values of the Chattanooga Police Department. Um, so tell me about that. Why was that important? And, uh, and what, you know, what is the, the vision, mission, and values of the Chattanooga Police Department? Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, it's important because you, everybody needs to have control over their own identity. Every organization, every person has a right to self-identify. And I wanted our organization to very deliberately look at them, ourselves, look at our community, and see who we wanted to be to meet the needs and the expectations of our community. So we worked with the community to hear what they wanted out of their police department. We worked with our employees to find out who they wanted to be. And we worked actually with outside um, facilitators and consultants to help us work through the surprisingly complicated task of deciding who you want to be. But it's also important that um, the values be disseminated and modeled from the top down. The, those of us in leadership positions have an obligation to demonstrate those values. So um, we started that from the, the very beginning, from the very top, and we came up with some very deliberate and some very specific changes. And our mission is to keep you, your family, and our community safe. And that reflects the essence of our mission, which is public safety. Um, and as simple as it is, it can be very complicated. Our vision builds on the need for inclusiveness. And our vision is to be trusted and respected by all of Chattanooga's diverse community. And we really believe that those two go hand in hand, that the mission to keep you safe depends on inclusiveness. And inclusiveness is easier to do when people are and feel safe. Sure, the values are, we have numerous ones, um, but they are the ones you would expect. And the one that's more important for us, the one that's most important for us in a list of very important ones is the very first one, and that is responsiveness. And responsiveness is um, first because it really reflects the ability to, or the need to provide services to people in the way that they need them. That is, when you are an inclusive department, an inclusive organization that appreciates difference, then you respond to people based on their needs. So responsiveness is a very, very, very important um, value. Now we have a host of other ones as well. Yeah, there's a whole list on there. What, what's the website? I know it's on the, your guys' homepage. What's the actual website of the Chattanooga Police Department? Sure, it's chattanooga.gov slash police. Okay, chattanooga.gov slash police. And I, I've learned to say police in the, in the Tennessee <laughs> way. How, how do they say it in Texas? Police. Okay, just normal. Um, <laughs> well, uh, so you know, we're in a pretty. I feel it feels like a really unique moment right now in our country. Not not just in a, in a political sense, uh, but when it does come to law enforcement and community, right? Um, you know, I don't I don't know. Uh, you know I'm, I'm 31, so it's not like I have a ton of history in this, but it doesn't feel like there's ever been such a fracture between law enforcement and community as what there is right now in our country. And yes, my first podcast that I did for this, uh, the Camp House podcast, was an interview with Jared Bigham from Chattanooga 2.0. And they released that really sobering report back in January. And the big stat from that report was that, um, you know, an African-American student in Hamilton County is 33 times more likely to go to one of the bottom 5% schools in, in the entire state of Tennessee than a white student. 
And what's fascinating about that stat is um, the, 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 uh, the show This American Life did an episode. They actually just re-released it last week, so anybody can go on there and listen to that. Listen to this called The Problem We All Live With. And, um, and it's about schools in Ferguson, Missouri. And the, the, the amazing thing is they give the exact same stat in that podcast. And for Ferguson, Missouri, a, a, an African-American student is 25 times more likely to go to one of the bottom performing schools in the state of Missouri, right? So the stat is actually worse in Chattanooga. And that's, that's, that's amazing. That's incredible. When you add to that, you know, the stats of gun violence within our city. If you were to look at the entire country and you were to break it down just by statistics without hearing any kind of narrative, and we're going to get into that, um, and you tried to predict where the next Charlotte, where the next Baton Rouge, where the next Ferguson, Baltimore was going to happen, based on statistics, you know, Chattanooga looks, it looks a little scary. Uh, so, you know, you know, a huge reason why I wanted to have you on this episode is, is to talk about that. Like, how do, we, how do we make sure, as a community, and the police force playing a huge role in that, how do, we, how do we make sure that we're not the next Ferguson, that we're not the next Baton Rouge, that, that these sort of tragic things that seem to be happening all over the country don't happen here at home? Well, that is a long and uh, meandering question. Uh, so let me start back at the beginning. One, about the perception of the current state of affairs. While there are a lot of challenges facing us right now, and as a 31-year-old, it's easy to think that it is the worst it's ever been. I've been in this profession. Social media clearly plays into that as well. Which it didn't, as does the 24-hour news cycle. Right. Um, I've been a police officer in three decades, and I've been through cycles of this before. Um, Rodney King was in my professional lifetime. Uh, The Murrah bombing in Oklahoma City was in my professional lifetime. The sovereign citizen movements of the 1990s was in my lifetime. Ruby Ridge was in my lifetime. We've had a series of community police divisiveness over the years, and it goes in cycles. And the reality is, under the Clinton administration in the 90s, there was a strong focus on community policing. The research, the funding, the focus was on community policing. And then 9-11 happened, and the research, the funding, the focus switched from local municipal community policing to state security. And President Clinton, who had provided funding for up to 100,000 new police officers, directly contributing to things like the reduction in crime in New York City to historic lows, that all started to end after 9-11 when we became understandably more concerned with external threats. And it changed the, it changed the conversation and it changed the dialogue and it changed the dynamics of municipal policing in a lot of unintended ways. So that, that's important to take into account as well. Um, and then... Regarding those cities you mentioned, um, certainly education, my entire career I've studied this, and educational attainment, as well as unemployment, median income, and single-family households all tend to correlate with high-crime communities. But there are also other factors as well. When you talk about things like Ferguson, the lack of employment, the lack of education, weren't the only factors at play there. You can read the DOJ report that tells about institutional practices in the city of Ferguson that treated people differently. So um, at risk of oversimplifying it, I think we need to understand that there are, there's never one single factor. But education, in every study I've ever seen about crime um, and poverty, education tracks, and correlation is not causation, but education certainly tracks with crime and disorder. 
Yeah, so and that's where I'm, you know, this is why it's such a great, great thing that stats, you know, can only tell a very small part of the story, small part of the picture. And so when we're thinking about our own community, you know, that's a huge reason why I wanted you to be on this episode, because essentially what you were brought into Chattanooga to do is to create a, a culture of community policing, okay? And, and, and you know, and so I hope you can... Uh, one, kind of give us a definition of what is community policing, and then what it really what I want people to uh, take away from this is learning all the new programs, the new forms of education that you've uh, kind of instituted within the police force. So let's go through some of that as well. But what is community policing? Sure. Community, peace, community policing can be a sort of an evasive, uh, elusive, obtuse term, so it's important that we define our terms. And I can tell you what it means to the men and women of the Chattanooga Police Department who have recently, every single one, received specific customized, in-depth, in-person training. And what it means is building relationships with the community to identify problems which manifest themselves in crime and disorder, and then working directly with the community along with other policing philosophies and strategies to develop responses to those problems which manifest in crime so we can reduce the number of criminal issues that we have to deal with. That was... <laughs> Um, that was a great, you can clearly tell you've memorized that. You've said that many times. And that I'm was trying to get on step. a bumper that's sticker, great. but that's about as short as I can get it. <laughs> but it, it, there, you'll hear, I'm very deliberate about it, um, Matt, because you hear it thrown around like a buzzword. And there are a number of people around the country who use it to get grants, who use it to placate their community, who use it to divert attention. We use it in Chattanooga because we believe it. Right. We believe that um, being a police officer is a public trust and that our badge and our service belongs to the city and we serve at their pleasure. And we are committed to knowing that community and understanding what's important to them and addressing the problems in a way that is uh, conducive to community wellness. Yeah, that's great. And, and so getting into, you know, kind of, this is not a term we use to placate the community. You've actually instituted some real programs and some initiatives within the police force to push us in the direction that you just described. So can you get, you know, start talking about that? And I think, you know, maybe one you could lead off with that I've heard about that I'm really excited about is that, you know, now within your, within the academy to become a Chattanooga police officer, uh, you have to do an, um, an immersion project mm -hmm. within a marginalized community in Chattanooga. So sure. can you talk about that for a little bit? I personally teach the community immersion class. That's how important it is to lead from the top. And what it is is a program that we developed um, when we realized that traditional methods of teaching appreciation for diversity. And we really teach appreciation. I'm not a big fan of the word tolerance. Tolerance means you put up with somebody. Appreciate means that you uh, understand the value that people bring from their differences, and you use that to make the whole better than the sum of the parts. And we teach appreciation for differences in a very unique way. We take cadets and we tell them, we trust you we, to have value as individuals, just like we expect you to learn to trust the community to have value as individuals. And we tell them to go out into the community and immerse themselves in a culture in the community. We divide them up into groups and they're unfiltered, unescorted, unchaperoned by police officers because we want them to learn it from the community not through the, the prism of anybody who came before them. And they go out and they talk to community advocacy groups, community leaders, and men and women on the street to get a variety of perspectives. It's very structured. They have to do so many, quote, man on the street interviews. They have to do so many interviews with community leaders. And they have to learn about those various community groups, those cultures in Chattanooga. And they have to ask very hard questions. 
what has your police department not done well? What can your police department do better? What do you want out of your police department? We also ask, what do you appreciate about your police department? Um, we really believe in appreciative inquiry and appreciative leadership. And we encourage these aspiring police officers to learn directly from the community what they want out of their police department. And then they come back and they teach the community what they learned. They teach their fellow officers what they learned. And they're evaluated by their fellow officers and by the community. And they have to do a college-level paper, and they have to do a one-hour in-person presentation. And the entirety of this community immersion course, which includes a variety of topics, including talking about stereotypes and prejudices and implicit bias, racial profiling, is the equivalent of a college semester course. They receive, if this were in college, they would receive three hours of college credit for it. That's how extensive it is. Can you give us a, an example of what some of those uh, projects focus on? Like when we talk about the diverse communities within Chattanooga, you know, it, 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 if you live in Ottawa or if you live in Southside uh, versus, uh, you know, Glass Street or Highland Park or, or East Lake, you know, the, the, those are very different communities. So uh, I don't think any of us understand how many different communities sure. there are. So give us an example of some of those. That's a good question. And it's a real challenge to be able to address every community because um, all communities have sub-communities and you can divide them uh, and subdivide them, which is actually an important lesson of this project. Um, but we're trying to teach people how to teach and we're trying to demonstrate critical thinking and relationship building. So we stick to the higher level, larger groups and the ones that have been traditionally disenfranchised or underserved by government. So the main groups, and it, it varies depending on how large our cadet class is and how many groups we can have, but we always send cadets out into the African-American community, into the Hispanic community, into the LGBT community, and then if we have additional room for groups, we send them out into um, the special needs community, people with emotional mental, mental challenges, and then as we get further down the road, we get into groups like um, Asian-American, uh, and other areas, we've gone as far as to have them address, say, the athletic community, people who like outdoor rec to learn what their unique are, needs are. But we really, the focus is on understanding the groups who have been traditionally underserved by the state. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, you know, this is, I think, the 16th episode of the podcast. I've never had sirens in the background like that. It's kind of funny. Um, so ironic. But, um, Okay, well, I think if anybody... I had those, I had those actually choreographed for <laughs> background music. It seemed appropriate. Yeah, that works. Well, I think, it, you know, if anybody has heard of any of the programs that have been instituted in the last three years, um, it's, the, it's the VRI program, the Violence Reduction Initiative. And, there's, you know, if you, if you look that up, you see a lot of back and forth on what this program is. You know, so I'd like to hear from you. I'm going to interject right yeah. there. First of all, it's not a program. Okay. And I don't mean to bristle at that, but it is an implement, implementation of a strategy. Great. Please, uh, please sure. describe that. Sure. Um, we have, we have a, a set of core policing philosophies, and they are to build a victim-centered organization that utilizes the best, most progressive policing philosophies, and those are community policing and problem-oriented policing, intelligence-led slash data-driven policing, and focused deterrence. And focused deterrence is the strategy behind the Violence Reduction Initiative. What focused deterrence is, is the policing philosophy that says, we know through very scientific and rigorous study 
that in most types of crimes, a very small number of discrete and knowable individual actors are responsible for the vast amount of disorder. You've heard of the 80-20 rule that 20% of blank is responsible right. for 80%. Right. Well, it turns out that's true in crime too. Hmm. That a very small portion, in fact, the numbers are more dramatic when you talk about gang and gun violence, that something like 40 basis points of our population, there's the accountant in me, uh, 40 basis <laughs> points is four tenths of 1%, um, that 40 basis points of the population is responsible for about 80% of the gun violence in our community. So it only makes sense that you would bring law enforcement pressure to bear in as focused a manner, in as aggressive a manner, in as deliberative a manner on that small number of people who are bringing disorder to our community, and you avoid bringing that type of pressure to bear on the broader community that actually suffers from those criminal actors. And that is focused deterrence. We know who is causing the violence. We know that it's driven by the groups they hang out in. We are gonna bring overwhelming pressure to bear on those criminal actors and the groups whose socialization and peer pressure allows, enables, and empowers this violence in order to stop it. And we're also going to offer help. We will help you if you'll let us, but we will stop you if you make us. Yes, okay, so the VRI is essentially this focused pressure on specific actors within our community. Uh, but then at the end there, you talked about you're also going to provide services to help deter that action. And I've, I've actually heard Dr. Paul Smith, back when he was part of he was here in Chattanooga, tell some, some of the stories of the VRA program, some very you know, incredible success stories. So can you, can you briefly describe maybe some of the success that you've seen in the VRI over the past three years since you guys have been doing this? Sure, that's actually a really good point to make. And most of the successes are things you don't see. Right. The successes are when we have a shooting here in Chattanooga and our, one, of our new, one of our new initiatives, one of our new efforts, such as our crime analysis unit, which didn't exist two years ago, our intelligence unit, which didn't exist two years ago, our gang team, which didn't exist two years ago, our gang partnership, which didn't exist two years ago, <laughs> our victim services unit, which didn't exist two years ago. This is not a loop, he's actually saying. Our community right and police response to victims of violence, which didn't exist two years ago. When one of those new tools to help keep our community safe identifies a threat, we respond in a aggressive and deliberate manner. And we go and we go intervene. And we stand at bedsides of people who've been shot. We stand on porches of people who have been hurt. We stand in stairwells of people who have threatened violence. And we, we give them that message. There is help out there if you'll take it, but there's a whole lot of force coming to bear if you make us stop you. And it has stopped violence. I'll give you a, real, I'll give you a specific example. We had a drive-by shooting a few weeks ago and we put our whole team on it. And we, we scoured social media, we talked to confidential informants, we looked at open source data, we did surveillance, and within a very short time, we realized that somebody was going to retaliate. And we learned who it was, and we went out and we intervened. We found a car full of guns, full of gang members who were going to go shoot somebody. And we put those gang members in jail, and we gave them the message. We will help you if you'll let us, but we just stopped you because you made us. And that prevented somebody from getting shot or killed. And in Chattanooga, that happens on a nearly daily basis. It happens while you're asleep. It happens while the news is quiet. But it happens regularly. And it is a true success story that saves lives. Yeah, that's incredible. And that just goes back again to where statistics don't tell the whole story. So many of these success stories are, 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 uh, are out there. We just don't know about it. So that's, that's excellent. And you know, when you talk about 
You know, you mentioned, you know, the way you guys stand at bedside or in the stairwell of victims. You, you've actually, you guys are in the process or you did just launch uh, a, a something for victims, right? What, um, we did. We just launched the Witness Support Fund. Uh, in fact, we had a tremendously successful telethon to raise funds for that, fun, for that uh, effort. We raised almost $5,000 in a couple short hours um, recently on uh, WRCB. And that shows this community is behind efforts to help keep itself safe. Yeah. And... That's one, of the, that's one of the myriad ways in which we're building a victim-centered organization. You know, Matt, um, as we look around the country, it's sort of hard to find a community that has eliminated crime. Right, um, for sure. You don't, you've done a lot of research. Can you point me to a community that has eliminated crime? Uh, not one that looks like us, at least. Um, yeah, nothing well, this big. I, I can tell you nobody's eliminated yeah. crime. It, crime is going to exist. And that's, it's challenging when your job is to fight crime, to acknowledge that nobody has successfully eliminated it. But I tell you what we can do successfully is we can care about every victim. We can make sure that every victim has the support of this community uh, to be safe and to feel safe and to recover from the effects of trauma that violent criminal bad guys inflict on them. And we have rebuilt our department, including creating the first ever victim services unit, um, both here and, and largely in the region um, to support people. In fact, we recently had Chicago Police Department down here about another matter entirely. And Chicago Police Department, with its tens of thousands of police officers and almost limitless resources, was furiously taking notes at what we were doing with victim services. In the last week, we've had two different municipalities. Um, cities in the top 10 and top 20 nationwide have called and scheduled visits to come look at us and see what we're doing with victim services. And before it started in a formal manner like that, we did it very organically. When I first got here, this community criticized law enforcement for not caring about victims. When I researched you all, when y'all were researching me, I learned that um, there were numerous victims that felt as if the criminal justice system didn't care about them. So I asked Assistant Chief Tracy Arnold to convene a broad-based group of community. He got about 75 people together and they sat down and they said, what is the challenge and what is the solution? And out of that community policing model came what we now call awkwardly, but accurately, the community and police response to victims of violence. And from that day forward until today, every time a community member, a neighbor of ours, suffers from violence or tra trauma from crime, a police officer, a community member, a faith leader show up, bedside, home, neighborhood, and they tell them, you have a contact, here is a list of resources, here is what is gonna happen, Here's what we can do, and honestly, here's what we can't do. But we let them know that somebody is in charge of making sure that we follow up on it. Then we follow up again. Then we send, if it's a gang crime, we send our gang unit out there to tell them, don't retaliate. If you retaliate, you're going to be responsible. If you're responsible for promoting this crime, we're going to hold you responsible. We don't, we don't let anything go. One of the things we do now, Matt, is we respond to every single shots fired call. When people shoot guns in this town and nobody's hurt, uh, it used to be that police drove by and said, no harm, no foul. Now we go out and we check it that night to make sure nobody's hurt, um, to look for bad guys, which is surprisingly hard to find. But then we go back the next day and we tell people, we understand what this does to your neighborhood. Neighborhoods can suffer trauma just like individuals can. And we go back and we knock on doors and we tell people, we are here to see if there's anything we can do. Is there anything unusual going in your neighborhood? Has a new 
community member moved in who might be in a gang? Is somebody doing something illicit that looks like drug dealing? And we follow up. And then we, and then we do a myriad of things. We catalog it. We transfer it to our intelligence unit. Our crime analysis unit logs it and goes over it with all of our statistical analysis software. And we act on it. Um, we try to approach everything from multiple facets, which include technology, community, and traditional policing. Yeah, I mean, I can personally attest to this last one. I, mean, I live in Highland Park on 14th Street, and we've been there five years. I think we've, we've called the, the police department about, you know, maybe once a year on, on shots fired. We've heard from our house. And, you know, recently, the, the, the last one, you know, we, d we had people show up within, I think, five to ten minutes. Good. Uh, and that didn't happen two years ago. Good. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. Uh, and we, we have a number of other efforts. Uh, we're really committed to technology. You were asking about those values. Uh, one of our values is progressiveness. And the reason we, the way we define progressiveness is a commitment to always identifying best practices, best technology, best resources, and finding a way to bring them to bear on the problems that community policing identifies. And one of those, many of those that we're doing, but like I said, we, we built a crime analysis unit, we built an intelligence unit, we built a gang unit, we built a gang partnership. But we're also bringing in a partnership with the ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms uh, Organization of the federal government to uh, implement this technology called NIBIN, which is National Integrated Ballistic Identification Network. It's essentially fingerprinting shell casings of firearms. And with that partnership with the ATF, we're going to be able to track this evidence that we recover from this community policing type effort of going door to door. And we're going to be able to start making link analysis of these, these shell casing evidence to guns that we recover. And by the way, your police officers recover over 1,000 guns a year. This year, 2016, they will place themselves between firearms being possessed or used illegally in your community at great risk to themselves, and they've done it successfully every time. Again, those are the stories you don't hear. Yeah. When an officer takes three guns out of a car of gangsters and they use no force, and that officer goes home at night despite great risk to him or herself, yeah. that's not a story, but that is a success. Huge success. Yeah, that's great. Uh, in fact, I mean, you mentioned the, the gun confiscation. I mean, you guys are on track to, to take out more guns this year than you have previously, right? We are going to, we are, uh, I'll give you an example. I'll give you a uh, comparison. Uh, we have taken over seven, we took over 700 guns off the street last year and right about 700 the year before that. Because of our increase in intelligence gathering, our increase in knowledge and expertise in gang, and quite frankly, our increase in good relationships with the community, we are going to dramatically increase that. We're on pace to take over 1,000 guns off the street this year, 1,000 um, guns off the street with very, very real impact. Every one of those guns that's taken off the street was possessed or used illegally. Some of them were found, but the vast majority of them were people that were engaged in other crimes or they weren't legally allowed to possess them. Many of them were people on the way to commit violent crimes. Uh, you know, and just hearing hearing those kind of numbers, the scary thing about that, you know, Chattanooga is only a city of, you know, I think our urban population is like 160. 177,000. That, and that was the par comparison I was going to give you. We're going to take about 1,000 guns off the street. Nashville takes about 2,000 guns off the street. Wow. Wow. So Na Nashville is over four times our size. And it's actually Nashville metropolitan. So they're closer to five times our size. Yet they only take twice as many guns off the street. That means we are successfully doing it at about 400% the rate they are. So your police officers are very aggressive, they're very deliberate, and they're building relationships with the community that help us identify these violent criminal actors. 
Well, I know some of the other, one of the other programs that you're really excited about right now is your officer reserve program. And um, so can you talk about that for a little bit? What are you, what are you trying to accomplish with that? Sure, absolutely. That, that falls into a, a slate of a suite of tools that we are building and implementing to try to address the need to diversify our police department. The Chattanooga Police Department does not currently reflect the community that it serves demographically. And we believe fundamentally as part of our overarching values is that a diverse organization is a strong organization and that diversity brings school skills and relationships that you can't find elsewhere. So we, we are committed to looking as closely like our community as we can. And that means we have to be deliberate about it. One, we have to sit here on a radio station and talk to a guy like you and say out loud that diversity is important because it is. But then we have to follow those words up with action. And we have a suite of tools that we're trying to do. One of those is the reserve officer program where we're specifically trying to engage community members who are involved in the community, who are of the community and from the community, who are already working on these problems, who would like to come be a part of the solution. Uh, like Chief Brown said in Dallas, um, what we want are people to step off of the picket line and in the recruiting line. We want people who have valid concerns about, their, about law enforcement to come learn how to do it and help your police department learn the people that they serve better than we could. And we're doing it really well. Your police officers work really hard to get to know their community. But when I have a 22-year-old police officer who moved here from out of county, it will take him, him or her years to build the relationships that are truly effective. But we already have community members who have those relationships. What I would like for them to do is come learn to be a police officer, train, receive extensive training, and then sit in a patrol car with these young men and women and help introduce them to the community while also serving, learning about their police department and taking that two-way dialogue back out to the communities. Um, we also got a program that, that's called Each One Reach One, which is a partnership with the Urban League of Chattanooga and some other organizations in town like NAACP, La Paz, Chat State, uh, which is funded through a grant from the Community Foundation to provide financial incentives to anybody, police officer, city employee, but most importantly, community member who will successfully recruit a minority candidate to be a police officer. I want 175,000 recruiters. I've got a three-person recruiting department. Three people can't successfully do what we need to do in the impatient manner I want it done. I need 175,000 residents to be recruiting the kind of people that Chattanooga wants to be police officers. And if you do it, we'll put $500 in your pocket. Yeah, when does that program kick off, the Each One Reach One? Well, it hasn't actually technically been launched yet, so we're hoping this podcast is, doesn't come <laughs> out until after, after the press conference, but uh, that's going to be announced officially very, very soon. But the grant was awarded some months ago, and we're going to set a hard date for when it kicks off because we take applications continuously, so we have to set a, a specific date, and there will be a formal announcement about that coming soon. Great, great. Well, so you've, you've talked about a few of the things um, that you guys have been doing, the inclusion program within the, within the academy, uh, the VRI, each one reach one. You know, what, what are some other things that, that the police department's involved right in right now that you're really excited about? Sure. Um, there's two broad categories that, ex that are exciting about what we're doing, which are using technology and progressive strategies to battle crime. And then there's using best practices to build relationships and, and build community and diversity. And everything really falls under those two. So under the first one, we have a whole slate of things. We are employing focused deterrence in a very deliberate manner. And I'd encourage you and your listeners to do a little research uh, offline. If you just Google um, what works in policing, 
there are a number of studies that come up, but one really great meta study comes up called the trace and the trace, the trace. And it, it, and it shows, it breaks policing strategies down into categories. What's shown to work, um, unknown and doesn't work. And if, if your listeners will look at that, um, it describes very closely what we have chosen as the policing philosophies and strategies here in Chattanooga. It shows that hotspot policing, i.e. intelligence-led policing and data-driven policing works. It shows that focused deterrence demonstrably works. And it shows that community policing, when partnered with these other tools, works. So we're trying to employ those philosophies. And under the crime-fighting strategies, um, we're implementing focused deterrence. We are, we have um, built, we are building a real-time intelligence center. We have built an intelligence unit. We have built a crime analysis unit. We um, have formed a gang partnership with at least 18 local, regional, and federal partners who help us fight crime. Um, our crime analysis unit did some great work, and they identified what we are calling most violent weeks. And this is a new strategy that we have built just for Chattanooga. Our crime analysis unit did something that we weren't capable of before we had those civilian experts. They identified that 14% of the calendar year is responsible for about 39% wow. of the gun yeah. violence in our town. Mm. So as an accountant and as a, <laughs> as a fiduciary of resources, and also as a leader of men and women who know that energy and um, service delivery are finite as well, we realize that we can have a dramatic impact if we focus our efforts, just like we do in focused deterrence, on people who are causing the problems. If we focus our efforts on times, just like we focus them on areas, that we can have an impact. So we are, during these six or seven different weeks where crime surges or violence surges, we're bringing together that whole partnership, all of those new functions, and we're having a very focused, very aggressive approach to crime, and we, we layer these on. When we do these aggressive um, surges, we don't just go out and surge in a neighborhood or a community. We go out and we use the data, data about those people that we know are causing the problems, and we say, partners, extra officers, overtime, go find these bad guys and take them off the street. And so far, it's been, um, we have, we've done about four of these so far, and all four of them show uh, demonstrable success. The first one we did was in April, and if you'll remember, April was a month that really surged in violence. The first week or two, we had a series of very, very violent incidents. And shortly after that, we initiated our first most violent week strategy. And the entirety of April ended up being the lowest violent crime and the lowest property crime April in 10 years. That's incredible. So it's one data point. Yeah. Um, but then we did three more since then. And all three of those showed similar. We did one in uh, August, I believe. Uh, I may have it confused with June, but we did one in August. And the number of uh, specific crimes that we targeted went down demonstrably. So we are entering into our fourth or fifth one here shortly. And we really believe that our new tools, like the Crime Analysis Unit, have given us the ability to fight crime in new and exciting ways that are consistent with what this community wants. This community does not want the kind of things that have been proven unconstitutional in other places, like, like blanket stop and frisk, which, by the way, have been shown that they we're not part of the solution. If you'll look at the crime in New York, uh, the crime rate continues to decline at a steady rate even after stop and frisk dropped by about 90% in 2011. And this community says it wants something different, and I agree with them. We want to focus on the people in any community. The, in the worst crime community in this neighborhood or any, 
the vast majority of people are not involved in crime, and they shouldn't be treated like they're involved in crime. The people who are involved in crime should be treated like they're involved in crime. And that's the essence of focused deterrence. That's the essence of intelligence-led policing, and that's the promise of community policing. When I hear you describe these programs, there, there seems to be an, an incredibly bright future in the way that we're, uh, you know, our, in the direction our city is going when it comes to crime and violence. Uh, but there's going to be some people out there who, do, you know, regardless of any kind of like positive statistics we show them, um, positive stories we tell them, you know, they're still going to see uh, our current state of violence within our city as being highly negative and that we, we, we're not on the right track and all that kind of, that kind of stuff. You know, why don't you speak directly to those people for a little bit and kind of bring them on board with the vision of community policing that you've instituted here in the past three years? Sure. Um, one, everything we are doing is for you, is for the people affected by crime and violence and trauma. And while statistics are important and numbers are important for building strategies and holding yourselves accountable for uh, approaches, none of that matters when you are the victim of crime, violence, or trauma. And no matter how low our crime gets, and no matter what kind of a trend we're on, if you or your loved one is affected by crime, it's one too many. Uh, we have a saying that we repeat often at the police department, which is a loss to any of us is a loss to all of us. That's what we mean by building a victim-centered organization. That's why we have functions to make sure that people receive the support they need in the unfortunate instances when we cannot prevent crime um, and unfortunately, sometimes when we are unable to bring people to justice, we want to make sure that we help people regain as much wholeness as possible. Um, and as far as community policing, the strategies we're employing are the ones this community has asked for. They're also the ones that have been identified as national best practices and most progressive ideas. We work with the community routinely to hear what the community wants. And when they come up with new needs, new challenges, new ideas, we work hard to implement them. We try to put them through rigorous study um, and see what the, what's working nationwide and then apply that here. That's why progressiveness is one of our core values. We are not going to stay committed to something that this community doesn't want and isn't working. So we are committed to evolving, growing, and adding tools. And we've added numerous tools, some, a few of which we've talked about um, and more which we could talk about at length. But we, there is no single, I work really hard not to say the, way silver, the word silver bullet. Um, there is no panacea to crime. There is no answer. If there was, you would see a community with no crime. What there is is a commitment to caring about it and always working hard to build better practices and to address it head on and to continue to put the brave men and women of policing between violence and you. My police officers have been shot at a half a dozen times since I've been here. They have literally been violently assaulted by people who would rather hurt the community, but the police officers have intervened. And they continue to do that. We continue to promise to do that. We continue to promise to do it in a selfless way, another one of our values, selfless service. And we promise to do it in partnership with the community. Well, Chief, thank you so much for stopping in and, and talking about your, the, the vision of community policing, what the, the, some of the incredible things we have going on within our police department and, and the way you guys are you know, essentially rebuilding trust and, and building trust within Chattanooga. Thanks for being here. Absolutely, Matt. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Chief Fletcher for stopping in and really just beginning to describe what community policing looks like here in Chattanooga. 
You know, I actually have one anecdote from when we recorded this that I just found so fascinating. Once the interview was over, I walked uh, Chief Fletcher out of the lamppost building and onto Market Street, and we just stood there talking for like 10 minutes. But as we were standing there talking, two groups, uh, two pairs of people walked by. And, um, you know, judging by the way they were dressed, these people were not, they might not have been homeless, but they certainly weren't part of the downtown business community or the innovation community here in Chattanooga. But as they walked by, the first pair, one of them saw us sitting there talking, and uh, as he walked by, he waved. He's like, hey, Chief. And Chief waved back, how you doing? And then the next group went by, the next pair of people, and a middle-aged black man with dreads halfway down his back stopped and shook Chief Fletcher's hand. And as he was shaking his hand, he held it the entire time. And he just said, man, I just want you to know you're doing great things here, man. You're changing the city, Chief. Thank you so much. You're changing the city. Just over and over again. And and then he went on his way. And what I find so amazing about that interaction is that the Chief didn't have some sign above his head declaring who he was. These people knew who he was. They knew he was the Chief of Police. So it was just this incredible moment of us sitting here talking about community policing and this philosophy of, of how we go about keeping our community safe and, and all this, and then, and then to walk out on the street and see those principles and that philosophy embodied in a very real way. Chief Fletcher believes in relationships and that relationships will change our city. And I saw that played out right in front of me. So I hope after this interview, you guys feel a lot more informed and connected about what's going on in our city. I hope you feel inspired by the strides that our police department is taking to make this a safer community, to make this a more integrated community. If you want to learn anything more about our police department and some of these programs, some of these specific programs, you, know, you can always get in touch with them on their website at www.chattanooga.gov police dash department. Chattanooga.gov police dash department. You know, and so the whole point of this podcast is that it'll be a resource to help you and, and, and other people within Chattanooga to feel more informed, connected, and inspired by what is happening in our city. And so, you know, if you found this episode helpful, uh, please go online and share it. You can go to thecamphouse.com slash podcast, and from there you can share the episode on Facebook, Twitter, through email. Um, help us spread the word, uh, especially about this episode. I'm, I'm so excited, and I want people to know some of these programs. So if you found this interesting, please go online and share it with a friend. Thank you to our studio sponsor, Lamp Post Group. You know, check out their podcast, Dynamo Discussions. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts at. So thank you for being here. We'll see you here next week, and I hope you have a great day.